Thank you, Marge. Please take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 12, and we're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter as we finish up our study of this book tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. You're going to notice um, a lot of different themes in this passage, and um, I'm going to try and tie these things together as best I can tonight. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, But test everything, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. When I was in high school, um, I hated having to give an oral report. Hated is probably too, too weak of a term. I despised having to get up in front of my class and give some kind of speech. I do remember, though, one of my teachers who was talking about giving a speech, and they said, what you need to do is you need to make sure that your conclusion is very important. It's, it's very significant that in your conclusion, when you wrap up your speech, that you really drive home your point. Now, that didn't help me much. Um, I think I've told you my experience, my very first sermon. If I haven't told you, you can ask me tonight. It was horrifying. Um, But that's what they say. You, You have to end your speech well. You have to end your speech by, by really impressing some great truth upon the hearts and the minds of your listeners. Well, as we come to the end of this book, that's what Paul does. He, he wants to press home some very important truths to these Christians in Thessalonica. Now, there's a lot in this passage. There's a lot we could focus on tonight. There's the whole section on rejoicing always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, uh, abstain from every form of evil, Uh, greet the brothers with a holy kiss. We could talk about what that is, but I I don't want to focus on those things tonight. Essentially, what Paul is saying here in this passage could be boiled down to life within the church. 
Paul is talking here about how we are to function and relate and serve one another. Paul is saying basically, okay, brothers and sisters, as I wrap this up, I want to remind you how we are to live life in the church. And and the fact of the matter is that, that these Christians in Thessalonica really, really needed each other. I mean, they lived, they lived in a much different world in a sense than we do. They lived in a place of overt, intense persecution. Christians were, were marginalized. Christians were harassed. Christians lost their job. Christians lost their property. Christians were thrown in jail. Christians were killed, all for following Jesus. You can imagine if, if that was going on in our nation today, if that was going on in our county today. You imagine how much we would realize we need each other. Now, now we don't face the, the same hostility that they did. Maybe one day we will. But, but we still need each other. Zion is, is not just a place where we come together to worship the Lord in the morning and the evening. We, we drive here, we park our car here, we sit in the pew, we sing a few songs, we, we listen to a sermon, and then we go out to our cars and we go home. That's not God's intention for his church. And, and I would say to you, with as much love as I can, that if that's how you are functioning within the body, that's not God's will for you. It's not God's will for any of his children. That's not what he desires for his people. That's why the New Testament describes the church as a body. Now, yes, we are made up of many different parts. We have have, um, different gifts. We have different callings. We have different temperaments. But brothers and sisters, we are connected. Now, I probably should have preached this sermon in the morning because the entire congregation needs to hear this. But this is important stuff, what Paul ends with here. This is not just Paul trying to fill up some space at the end of his letter. Maybe you've written a a card to someone before and you you get the card from CVS or Walgreens or wherever you buy your cards and you open it up and there's this big, giant, blank space. And you go, all I wanted to do was wish someone a happy birthday and now I've got all this white space that I need to write in. And you start writing and you keep writing and you figure, how am I going to fill up all this space? Maybe I'll just write really big. And so you just try and come up with more stuff to say. That, that's not what the Bible is like. That's not what First Thessalonians is like. It's not like Paul covered all the important stuff in the middle of the letter and he talked about the second coming of Christ and the day of the Lord. And, and then he got to chapter 5 and he went, oh, how am I going to finish this? How am I going to, 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 to finish this letter off? I'll just, I'll just make up some stuff. I'll just write some stuff. These are, these are important things. And it's, it's critical that, that we hear this tonight. It's critical that I hear it. And it's critical that you hear it. And so I want to look at Paul's concluding words with you tonight and, and encourage you that this is what God calls his church to be. I'm going to give you four words that I think somewhat encapsulate what Paul is driving home. First, respect. Second, unity. 
Third, involvement. And fourth, discernment. Respect, unity, involvement, and discernment. Paul starts in verse 12 and he says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now I would think that you would agree with me that respect for authority today seems to be at an all-time low. It doesn't matter if it's the police or teachers at school or government officials or, or church leaders, people don't seem to have the same level of respect that they once did. Now, I'm not just a cranky old guy who's crying out about the problems of our day. I think we would all say that, that there is a lack of respect in many senses in our culture today. Now, now, some of that might be because various leaders have lost our respect. They, they've done something that, that shows that they're not really worthy of respect. And, and yet here, we have to hear this, Paul presses home the need for Christians to respect God's appointed leaders in the church. He says, respect them and esteem them very highly in love. If you, if you like to underline in your Bible, if you underline that word respect, it, it's actually the Greek word that refers to knowledge. It's very interesting. The, the idea here is that you, you really know those whom the Lord has placed over you. And that through getting to know them and knowing them better, you, you begin to appreciate them and respect them. And so I would ask you tonight, all of you, how well do you know your district elder? How well do you know him? How well do you know the other men whom the Lord has placed in leadership here at Zion? Now, now certainly, shepherds are called to know the sheep. It's a two-way street. But, but how well do you know the shepherds? How well do you know your elder? You can all find out who your elder is. If you don't know who he is, you can go to the directory. You can find him very easily. How, how many of you have gone up to your district elder and asked your elder, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Have you ever called your district elder up? Maybe sent him a text or an email and, and said, I'm thankful the Lord has placed you in leadership here at Zion. And I know that God will use you, and, and I'm praying for you. We have to know each other. It's not just the elders knowing the sheep, it's also the sheep knowing the shepherds. Then there's that word esteem. The, the idea here is that we are to value church leaders. We are to realize that they, they do very important work. Ask the elders or the deacons, and they will tell you that, that being an elder or a deacon is, is not easy. The, the work can be, yes, it can be very rewarding. It can be a real joy to, to serve God's people. But it's not easy. Sometimes it's, it's incredibly discouraging. Many elders and deacons have, have full-time jobs outside of the church. They have children in the home. And, and on top of that, they are giving the task of caring for God's people. And so Paul says that we should esteem them. Paul even says that we should esteem them very highly and very highly in love. 
Now, now it's important to remember that it's, it's not just about church members submitting to church leaders. If, if you take a look at our passage, you'll notice that Paul says a couple of very important things about the work of church leaders as well. If you look at verse 12, there's a phrase in there, labor among you. See that word labor. Labor, the, the Greek word refers to, to working to the point of being weary. Pastors and elders and deacons are, are called to work hard in their service. We, we ought not to say only, I'm a church leader, respect me and esteem me. No, church leaders are called to, to shepherd the flock of God by working hard on their behalf, by, by caring about what goes on here, by taking the lead in, in ministering to and, and serving other people. Church leaders are to take the lead in, in seeking to, to move the ministry of the church forward instead of being content with the status quo and, well, that's how we've always done things around here. And then secondly, notice the word admonish. Not only are church leaders to labor hard, but they are also to admonish. The, the Greek word that's translated admonish is the Greek word nutheteo. Maybe you've heard the, the term nuthetic counseling before. Nutheteo means to, to place on someone's mind. The, the idea, very simply, is that if you are a pastor or an elder or a deacon, you are to place the word of God on the minds of God's people. You are to, to bring the Bible to bear on people's lives. Sometimes that means confronting sin. Sometimes that means encouraging or comforting those who are hurting. Sometimes that means coming alongside someone and, and helping them to understand Scripture better. But the point is that, that, that church leaders are to be known not only for their diligent labor, not only for their hard work, not only for their caring for the sheep, but also their commitment to bring God's word to God's people. And so again, it's a two-way street, isn't it? Yes, we as, as members are called to, to respect and to esteem very highly those the Lord has placed over us, but at the same time, church leaders are called to work and labor and move the ministry forward and bring the word of God to bear in the lives of God's people. Second word is unity. You'll notice at the end of verse 13, Paul says very simply, be at peace among yourselves. Brothers and sisters, the, the scripture reminds us that peace and unity are very important. John MacArthur said this, he said, there is nothing more grieving, more distracting, more difficult, more painful than discord in the church. And he's right. The, the Bible speaks on more than one occasion about the importance of peace, the importance of unity, the importance of working hard at those things. Romans 14 verse 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace. Ephesians 4, 3, Paul says, we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Pursuing peace, maintaining unity, those, those things are very important. And, and the Bible also gives to us a, a very stern warning about those who do not pursue peace. 
about those who do not maintain unity. Romans 16, verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. Titus chapter 3, verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Paul says that's how you, you deal with people who cause division. You warn them, and if they don't listen, you avoid them. You have nothing more to do with them. The Bible places a, a very high premium on unity, a very high premium on peace. That, that is why when we have a profession of faith, when, when someone makes a, a profession of their faith, that's why when they stand up here and, and they publicly profess their faith in Christ, one of the questions that they are asked is, do you promise to submit to the government of the church and also if you should become wayward either in doctrine or in life to submit to its admonition and discipline? We are, we are called to submit. We are called to maintain peace and unity. When we have membership interviews, one of the questions that I ask prospective members is very simply, are you committed to the peace and unity of Zion? We, we want to encourage people, don't, don't come here trying to destroy the unity of the church. Now this presupposes a faithful church. This presupposes that the church leaders aren't calling people to do what is sinful or contrary to God's word. But, but brothers and sisters, we are, we are called to pursue peace. We are called to pursue unity. We're called to do that together, and, that, and that's not easy. We're all sinners. Church leaders are sinners. As I said to you this morning, if you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it in this life. And so we have to work hard at this. We have to, in a sense, double down on our efforts. And we have to ask each of ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, how can I work for peace? How can I work for unity? That's the second word. The third word is involvement. Notice what Paul writes in verse 14. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, you might say, well, that sounds great for the elders. That sounds like elder work. I don't think Paul is just saying this to the elders. I don't think Paul is just saying this to church leaders. I, I think he's saying this to, to all of us tonight. He was saying this to all of the Thessalonians. This highlights the fact, again, that we are to be involved in one another's lives, not in, the, not in some weird cult-like way, or I'm standing outside your living room window seeing what you're watching on Netflix, but it means that we know each other. It means we care about each other, just, just like you would find in a, a healthy, normally functioning family. You ever wonder, maybe you've, you've asked this question, I think we all should at some point, what is my role in the church? What, is, what does God want me to do at Zion? Now certainly there are, there are some official roles in which we can serve. We can, we can teach Sunday school, we can serve on a committee, uh, we can work in the nursery, we can work in sound, we can serve refreshments, and all of those are important, all of those are wonderful but what Paul says here in verse 14 is really the marching orders for all of us. 
This is for all of us in the life of the church. And Paul says basically four things. He says, first of all, I want you to admonish the idol. Word idol is a military term. It's a military term that refers to soldiers who weren't doing, doing their duty. They were just slacking off. And remember, one of the issues that, that Paul had to deal with in Thessalonica is, is that there were Christians who had become lazy. They had stopped working. You, you can read about this in 2 Thessalonians 3. In all likelihood, they were, they were thinking Jesus could come at any moment. He's going to come at any time. And so they, they just stopped working. I mean, if you knew that, that Jesus was coming back next week, what would you do? You'd all quit your jobs and you'd all go on the nicest vacation you could possibly afford. But we don't know when Jesus is coming. We, we can't anticipate that. But you had this group of people in this church who thought because the day of the Lord was coming at any moment, they had become idle. They stopped working. They weren't serving. They weren't active. This is a problem. This is a problem in our society today. This is a problem in many churches today when you have people who don't do anything. There is a, a massive uptick in our society today of people who just don't want to work. Businesses often struggle to find people who will work. Idleness is a problem that, that plagues the church as well. People who are able-bodied, people who have the ability and the time and the talents to serve, but who do nothing. How do you deal with people like that? Well, Paul is specifically addressing life in the church here, but, but I think the principle is the same, whether it's a church or in a business or in the home. What you do, Paul says, is you admonish that person. There's the word admonish again. You come alongside that person, and in humility, you point out what the Scripture says. You point out what the Bible says. Warning us not to be idle, not to be lazy. Telling us, use your gifts. You've all been given gifts. Use them, Peter says in 1 Peter 4. Now, we have to be careful. We don't come off as, you know, I'm better than you. I'm serving and you're not kind of way. We need to do it with a genuine humility and, and love for people. But this is part of life in the body. Calling people to serve. Stirring people up to be active. We, we don't want the 80-20 rule where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. We all need to row the boat. We all need to drive the bus. Whatever analogy you want to use, God calls us to be active parts of the body. Second, Paul says, encourage the faint-hearted. Uh, this word um, faint-hearted is a really interesting word. Literally, it means small-souled. Small souled. And it's in contrast to another Greek word that means big souled. That the big souled person is the person who is courageous, who is adventurous, who is not afraid to, to take on some big task. And on the contrary, the small souled person is the person who lacks courage, the person who is characterized by, by worry or, or fear. Listen to how one author 
characterizes the faint-hearted or the small-souled. He says, they love what is safe. They only want to walk a path that somebody has already paved. They only want to repeat an act that somebody has already done. They want a risk-free life with absolute security. They lack the strength to move out with the church and take new challenges. And almost never do they strike out in new ministries. That's the faint-hearted. Now, what do you do with them? Do you just write them off? you give up on them? Paul says we should encourage them. That means to comfort them or to console them. We don't, we don't slam them. We don't, we don't write them off. We, we come alongside of them in order to encourage them and comfort them. You see, one of the things I love about this passage, and especially verse 14, is that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to ministering to people. You deal differently with different people. When it, when it comes to the idle, when it comes to the lazy, when it comes to the non-participants, Paul says admonish them. But when it comes to faint-hearted people, Paul doesn't say the same thing. He doesn't say admonish them. He says encourage them. I think he means remind them who God is, remind them of God's love and God's power, remind them of who they are in Christ, remind them that God has gifted them and that he will use them in service, encourage them with these things. And by the way, the church needs big-souled people. Zion needs big-souled people. Zion needs people who will step out in faith and say, let's start a new ministry. Let's move the ministry forward. Zion needs big-souled people who are proactive and who are not afraid to take risks and are excited for what the Lord will do in our midst. Third, Paul says, help the weak. We don't know who these weak people are. It might be baby Christians. It, it might be people who should be further along in their sanctification but who are not. It might be people who are weighed down with um, besetting sin of some kind. But, but whatever the case, whatever the reason for their weakness, Paul doesn't say throw them out. Paul doesn't say be done with them. He says help them. Word help is an interesting word. It, it literally means to, to cleave to them or to hold tight to them. In other words, if you, if you see a weak person in the congregation, you don't avoid them. You come alongside of them to support them. Do you know someone who is struggling in our body? Do you know someone who is discouraged? Well, let me encourage you to, to reach out to them. Offer your support, your encouragement to them. Don't, don't think to yourself, well, someone else will do it. The elders will do it, or someone will do it. No, we need to do it if we know about it. And fourth, Paul says, be patient with all. It's um, super easy to get frustrated with people. It's super easy to... Um, Kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, I'm, I'm done, I give up. It's easy to do that. It's hard to be patient. Most of us know that. But what should characterize the ministry and the life here at Zion is that we are patient with one another. I want you to think for just a moment of, of how patient God has been with you. I mean, some of the things I've done, some of the things I used to think and believe 
And God has been so patient with me. Think of how, how long-suffering God has been toward you. Think of his love for you. And, and that really should mark how we treat one another. And we can't do these things from a distance. We can't do these things if we you know, just show up to church when it's convenient for us. We have to be involved in each other's lives. Respect, unity, involvement. One more word, discernment. Drop down to verse 19. Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Now, you see that word prophecies, and you might think of someone who stands up in a church service and gives some kind of new revelation. God told me to tell you this. And that kind of stuff did happen in, in the first century church, but when the, when the canon of Scripture was closed, that doesn't happen anymore today. We have God's final revelation in his word. But this still applies to us. When, when Paul says don't despise prophecies, he's telling us how we should receive God's word. Specifically, I think he's telling us what our attitude should be toward preaching. In, in preaching, God is speaking forth his word to us. In fact, in the, in the second Helvetic Confession, which is a, uh, a reformed confession that was written the same year as the Belgian Confession, the second Helvetic confession, confession says, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. And, and what was meant by that, or what is meant by that, is that when God's word is faithfully preached, that is the very word of God to us. That's how we should approach preaching. By saying, this is God's word to me. Now, Paul's careful to add something here that we don't want to miss. He says, test everything. Test everything. Just because I or anyone else claims to be speaking for God doesn't mean that you should just take our word for it. Make sure that you test what you hear against God's word. We live in a day when, when people have all kinds of crazy ideas about what Christianity is. And, and you read some of these surveys and, and you see how people answer some of these questions and you say, really, that's what, that's what professing Christians believe? I mean, it's bad stuff. And, and that is why it's crucial that we examine everything we hear with Scripture. We need to be discerning, like the Bereans, who didn't just say, oh, Paul said it, let's believe it. They went back and they examined everything Paul said by the word of God to see if what he was saying was true. And so this is how we are to live in the body. God has, has saved us. God has called us. God has redeemed us. Not so that we could now be on our own. Not so that we could be lone ranger Christians. He has saved us. He has called us. He has redeemed us into his church. And Zion is a local expression of that church. And so tonight, we ask the question, how are we doing with these things? 
How are we doing in terms of respecting those the Lord has placed over us? How are we doing, church leaders, in terms of laboring, in terms of caring for the congregation? How are we doing in terms of working hard for unity? How are we doing when it comes to being involved in each other's lives and, and, and ask people, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? How are we doing when it comes to being discerning with what we hear and what we're taught? These are important words Paul gives us at the end of this letter. And may God give us the strength to see their importance and to live life in the body as God calls us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words to us tonight from Scripture. Lord, so much more we could have looked at tonight, but we realize how important these things are. Respect, unity, involvement, discernment. Help us, Father, to strive hard to see these four words carried out in our church. May we serve faithfully. May we serve for your glory. May we serve because we love one another. Give us the strength to do that, we pray in Jesus' name.